to Luke chapter 8 this evening, the Gospel of Luke, and the 8th chapter once again, as we continue going through this Gospel. easy for us to sing words like that. I hope it's somewhat real in your life, that you yield yourself, your time, your talents, all that you are, yield them to Christ, give your life to Him. You cannot do so perfectly, it's always imperfect, but it is to be done nonetheless. And day by day, presenting ourselves, a living sacrifice to our God. It's not for us to hold back. It's not for us to change the demands of the gospel. We are to give ourselves whatever that looks like according to where God has placed us and the opportunities he gives. Look, chapter 8, we are going to read from verse 16. We have previous to this, of course, the parable of the sower, and that's still very significant in what we consider tonight. But let's read from verse 16 through verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Amen. May the Lord give the necessary light we need to understand his word tonight and for it to be helpful to us in our hearts and lives. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, this is an opportunity for you to hear things that have yet to register in your life. And so I trust you pay attention to the Word and even have the prayer in your own heart that God will help you to see and help you to understand. Lord, I pray Thou wilt help us day by day to live as we have been singing. We pray that our minds, our bodies, our wills, all that we are would be surrendered. We confess it's so hard to stay there. And there are a million and one things that will draw us from such commitment. I give thanks to Thee, Lord, for those here tonight that have known a measure of grace to give themselves to Thee, to Thy work, to Thy cause, 
to thy name. I thank thee that their lives bear testimony of lives well lived. We may be largely anonymous to the world, but we're known by thee. Our works follow us and shall follow us. We're thankful that not one thing we have sought to do in the name of Christ is missed by the one who will reward those who serve him. Bless us then with a commitment to thy cause. And as we consider thy word, give us the hearts that we need so that there is fruit born in our lives in the present and in the future. Save the lost. Restore the backslidden. Encourage the people of God. Give us all the help we now in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1636, Thomas Hooker led a group of Puritans from Massachusetts to colonize what is now Connecticut. A few years later, in 1639, that little community drafted and adopted what was called the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut. This document that's in and around 2,000 words, not very large at all, would govern them for many years. Even after the colonies established their independence, this still was relevant and was the primary document that governed what was going on in Connecticut. While the community clearly was committed to being governed by the Word of God, what this early constitution did was spell out things that we take for granted today. Individual rights requiring that all free men elect their representatives using paper ballots. I'm not going to get into that at the minute. An attempt to delineate the powers of the government and the limits of that power. Now, about 160 years later, after the colonies gained their independence, Jesse Root, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Connecticut, wrote what is called the origin of government and laws in Connecticut. He's going back to this document and how they ran their affairs. And speaking of the efforts of those that had gone before him, he said, their common law was derived from the law of nature and of revelation. Those rules and maxims of immutable truth and justice which arise from the eternal fitness of things. And he went on to address the matter of common law, saying this, These questions are frequently asked. What is the common law of America? Have we any common law in Connecticut? I know not how I can better resolve these questions than by answering another. What is common law? And first, common law, and I want you to listen to this, because this is alien language in comparison to how things are stated today. Common law is the perfection of reason arising from the nature of God, of man, and of things, and from their relations, dependencies, and connections. It is universal and extends to all men and to all combinations of men in every possible situation and embraces all cases and questions that can possibly arise. It is in itself perfect, clear, and certain. It is immutable and cannot be changed or altered without altering the nature and relation of things. It is superior to all other laws and regulations. By it they are corrected and controlled." All positive laws are to be construed by it 
and when they are opposed to it, they are void. It is immemorial. No memory runneth to the contrary of it. It is coexistent with the nature of man and commensurate with his being. It is most energetic and coercive for everyone who violates its maxims and precepts are sure of feeling the weight of its sanctions. Nor may we say, who will ascend into heaven to bring it down or descend into the depths to bring it up or traverse the Atlantic to import it? It is near us. It is within us, written upon the table of our hearts in lively and indelible characters. By it we are constantly admonished and reproved and by it we shall finally be judged. It is visible in the volume of nature, in all the works and ways of God. Its sound has gone forth into all the earth, and there is no people or nation so barbarous where its language is not understood. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Aside from reading it recently, my point is to show that the people that founded this nation believe that the laws that were to govern the land were absolute and obvious. This is in contrast with a statement, and this is where the rabbit trail began this week, when I read in 1992 the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, in which the Supreme Court upheld Roe versus Wade, perhaps the not know perhaps about it, from all I can understand, the, the greatest opportunity ever for reversing that abominable legislation. But at that point, or at that court, which was to the surprise of everyone, uh, did not reverse Roe versus Wade, afterwards Justice Kennedy, who was in support of maintaining things as they were, at least by and large in terms of Roe versus Wade, but he, he stated this. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Now that was the quote I randomly came across earlier this past week. And I just was bewildered, <laughs> absolutely bewildered by it. And rather than me trying to explain it to you, I'll leave it to... Uh, Justice Scalia, who much later said of this, I have never heard of a law that attempted to restrict one's right to define certain concepts. And if the passage calls into question the government's power to regulate actions based on one's self-defined concept of existence, etc., it is the passage that ate the rule of law. It has devoured itself. You have removed the very basis upon which we judge. Jesse Root said in 1798 that what governed America, quote, is in itself perfect, clear, and certain. It is immutable and cannot be changed or altered without altering the nature and relation of things, end quote. But in our modern world, people can define their own existence and you better not infringe on their liberties even when it involves the murder of the unborn. I account all this because if you have adopted a philosophy that allows you to think men can believe and act how they please, that reality is what you define it as, then you're going to have a problem with the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
Jesus demands that you take on board his word as absolute. Following the parable of the sower, in verse 18 we read, Take heed therefore how ye hear. What you're hearing is important. And you can't change its importance by simply saying to yourself, this doesn't fit my reality. It is absolute. There is objective truth. No amount of the philosophies of men can change that. It is impossible to overstate the absolute nature of truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, John 14 verse 6. Indeed, we worship a God that cannot lie, Titus 1 verse 2 and Hebrews 6 verse 18. Now, as a result, His Word is dependable and transformative. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So how do you receive the truth of God's Word? Or to ask the question that we put forth last Lord's Day, upon which ground are you, or what ground reflects your heart? How do you hear the Word of God? How does it enter into your life? What significance does it have in your consciousness, in the way you govern your affairs? I want us tonight, as we consider verses 16 through 21, simply in what I have entitled, How Do You Hear?, to look at these verses. How do you hear? It builds upon what our Lord has already presented and hammers home then the importance of hearing the Word of God aright, understanding the truth that is communicated by the Scriptures, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by His servants that bring you that Word. It must be received in the appropriate fashion. First, right hearing makes you reveal the truth. Right hearing makes you reveal the truth. Look at verse 16. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known, and come abroad. Our Lord puts before us a very short, brief parable again, where you have this candle. It's not a candle as we might know it, but some form of a lamp, a terracotta lamp. There would be a candlestick for it to be rested upon in living quarters so that it would give forth its light throughout all the room for the benefit of all that are there. And what the Lord is doing is using this, and it's not for the first time, He is using this to present a self-evident truth. Obviously, you don't light a candle and cover it with a vessel. And you don't light a candle and put it under a bed or under the blanket in the form of the old beds that they would have then. You don't cover it. That's the simple point. Why would you do that? No one would do that. No one. It's not something that needs to be debated. This picture is drawn by the Lord in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Again, Luke 11, verse 33. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. There is a lamp. 
it's placed in a room. And it's positioned so that it is best able to give light to everyone that is in that same room. That's the obvious point. But what does he mean? To what is he referring? What is the lamp that is meant to shine forth? Well, this is where we see, again, another test for people to determine whether or not they are the good ground hearers. Am I someone who has truly received the word with profit according to the parable already given? Am I a good ground hearer? Am I someone that will bring forth fruit? If I am not, that's a problem as we learned last Lord's Day. But if I am, then there are certain things that will be evident. And one of them is that I will give forth light. The lamp, then, is the disciple that has the Word of God in them. God does not intend for His people to take the treasure of His Word. One of the evidences that they have truly taken it is that it comes into their heart in such a way that it brings forth fruit. And that fruit is manifest in certain fashions, specifically here, that others are aware that that Word is in their hearts. We often want to determine whether or not we are the Lord's. We want evidences. This is a subject that is never far away from the language of the preacher, never far away from the minds of some of the Lord's people. How do I know I am the Lord's? Well, the Lord is giving here one of these evidences. If I can paraphrase it or reword it or frame it in a way that perhaps will help get the matter home to you, If you're truly good ground, if the Word actually has been sown into your heart and your heart is good ground, and you're such that with an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it, the evidence that you're keeping that Word in the fashion intended by the Lord is that you begin to emanate forth that same Word. It's like the seed that goes into the ground. The seed does not go into the ground to stay there, invisible, not known by anyone to exist there. The evidence that the seed has actually been in the ground is that later it springs forth and bears a crop. Then you know, you know that the seed was there. It had to have been there. There can be no crop without the seed being there. So one of the ways I know that I am truly good ground is that I bear forth fruit. And the way that it is presented in verse 16 is that I communicate light. I give forth light as the seed brings forth a crop to be benefited and used by others. So I am a lamp that gives forth light not to be covered, not put under a bed, but set on a candlestick that they which enter may see the light. That is the point. So one of the evidences you have heard the word is that you share the word. And the Lord is going to give his disciples this opportunity very quickly. If you look at verse, or chapter 9, pardon me, chapter 9 of this same gospel, the opening verses tell us, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and so on. He sends them forth to bear light. But this is not unique to them, of course. Christ wills that all of his people put forth light. 
In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, in verse 14 and following, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The entire church at Philippi was to take to heart what they had received as that which needed to be shared with others. That the light that had dawned upon their own hearts was to emanate into this world that was so dark and so in need of that same light, holding forth the word of life. And I say to you, beloved, one of the evidences that you have received the word in the fashion that you must if you're to be saved is that there's something in you that desires to reflect that word, share that word, give that word, and encourage others to give time to that same word. Now, we are not all called to be preachers. We're not all called to be those who give forth the word of God in the same fashion as we understand the apostles were. But there is this understanding that they are to give the Word of God. Now, just to consider this for a moment as well. It's very important that the disciples hear this. Because if you remember last week that we said about, in verse 10, the importance of parables in terms of Israel, that one of their functions was to come as a judgment upon them, that in giving forth these parables, and seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. That was a particular judgment to Israel, and I, I sought to outline that for you, not just in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even through the lives of the apostles, right up to the end of the book of Acts. This is a problem. Israel are under judgment because they largely have turned aside from the Word of God, and Jesus Christ communicating in parables further clarified that judgment. It helped it facilitated in that intention of them not seeing or knowing, basically getting what they wanted. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to commit themselves to God or be true about their appreciation for the Messiah and so on. They were hypocrites at heart, unbelievers fundamentally, and Jesus gives them exactly what they want. Parables that were intended as a judgment, where they wouldn't, where they would see, but they, they can't really understand what's going on and hearing and so on. They're not able to perceive what is happening. Now, with that in mind, and here's why I'm saying this again, it would have been a very dangerous thing if the apostles thought that they had the same ministry. If they thought to themselves, I have the same ministry, I must hide the truth from the Jews. Or I must speak in parables just like the Lord Jesus Christ so that they don't understand the truth. That would have been a problem. And so seen in that light, verse 16 becomes even more important for the apostles particularly. No man when he hath lighted a candle covereth it with a vessel or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. The Lord Jesus intends for the apostles to give forth the word of God as plainly and clearly as they are able so that man would have no excuse. But as I say, we are to do the same. 
We are to give forth the word of God. And in verse 17, Jesus continues, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. I'm sure you've come across these words on other occasions. Maybe you thought they were very simple to understand, but they aren't the most straightforward words to grasp. Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. What relationship does that have to the parable Jesus has just told? What has it got to do with the light? There are two ways this can be taken, as I understand it. First, that verse 17 is a warning to those that hate the truth. You imagine again the Pharisees. You imagine the unbeliever. You imagine the average Israelite in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17 functions as a warning to them. They don't want the light. They resist the light. In fact, Jesus says in John 3 verse 20, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now if you think just for a moment, for the, for the unbelieving Jew, this comes then as a warning. If you hate the truth, Don't think that your avoidance of the light is going to change the ultimate outcome. It will not change it for you. Everything eventually will come forth. All things that are secret will be revealed. So if you're here tonight and you think that by rejecting the truth and hiding yourself from the gospel in your heart resisting that commitment that Jesus requires, not wanting to become a Christian, not wanting to commit your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and thinking you will get away with this, Jesus gives a warning. No. Everything secret. It will be made known. It will come abroad sooner or later. But I think more strongly, while that may be part of the point here, a warning to those that hate the truth, it certainly is a warning to those that are hypocritical about the truth. Because in light of the parable of the sower, it is another test to see whether or not the ground of your heart is good ground. How have you received the word? Have you received it in a hypocritical fashion? Have you received it as one with no real intention to be committed to it? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Don't. Don't hold back on what you know. Don't hold back on the truth that is committed to you. You must get it forth. You must live it out by your preaching of it. And if you're fearful of people opposed to you, if you're fearful of what people think, then you're not the genuine article. 
this aspect of hypocrisy becomes more clear later in Luke's gospel. Look, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Because the Lord mentions this language again. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, so he's speaking to his disciples, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So this is strong language spoken by the Lord. And again, he uses this illustration of things that you think are covered are going to be uncovered, regardless of what you imagine for yourself. And it's in light of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees thought they heard the Word and received the Word. They thought they were the ones who were holding on to the Word and faithfully treasuring the Word and being the, the ones that God had deposited the truth to and they were, they were holding this charge faithfully for God. That's what they thought. But it was with hypocrisy. Other language of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think in John's Gospel particularly, he makes clear that the Pharisees really lived their lives in accordance with what the other Pharisees thought and believed. That it wasn't about the Word of God, it was about what, what, what the other Pharisees believed, what their other little group and clique believed. Their lives were governed not by the Word of God and a desire to make it known clearly, but they were governed by the fear of man. This is relevant to the parable that the Lord has spoken, is it not? Because he has warned of those. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, these of no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. They have no root. They fall away. How do they fall away? Because what happens as time goes by is that the word isn't what governs their life. It is what other people think. It's how other people are living their lives. And, and so there isn't this commitment, this absolute commitment to Christ, this commitment to the truth. There is a hypocritical holding on to the Word, which by and by will be revealed. And the Pharisees lived their lives as if they would never be uncovered, that everyone believed they were the most pious in their community. Jesus Christ comes along and pulls the lid off of that and exposes them to be the hypocrites that they were. And his warning then is to all who hear the word, all who supposedly receive the word, you make sure you're not like them. Don't think for a moment you will get away with a hypocritical holding on to the word. Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. You must shine the light honestly and clearly 
You must have the light govern your life and share it with other people. There must be this appropriation of the Word that so takes over your life that you're telling others about it and you're governing your own life by it. If not, it will come a day of reckoning. And of course, Luke 12 is, is bringing clear light on that. It ties in what the Lord has said in terms of things not being covered that shall not be revealed. He ties it in with future judgment, doesn't he? He calls men, don't be afraid of them that kill the body. Again, I should have pointed this out. This is getting to the issue, the fear of man. The hypocritical holding on to the Word where you're aligning yourself with those that apparently treasure the Word of God, but you're fearful. Really what governs your heart are the thoughts of other men, what they think. So you will be as religious as you can be without upsetting the status quo. What's the community expect of you? Really, you live your life under the fear of man, not the fear of God. I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Fear God. This is the danger. I stand before a congregation of people that have heard the word just as the parable presents. The seed has been sown scattered, and there are different grounds. And we come back to the original question, what ground reflects me? Does the Word fall by the wayside with me? Does it fall upon a rock? Does it fall upon, among thorns? Or has it fallen on good ground that will spring up and bear fruit a hundredfold? And one of the ways you can test is your relationship to other people. If you are constantly afraid of sharing the gospel, if you have no courage whatsoever, let me put it this way. Because Peter, Peter, of course, fell foul to the fear of man. But it bothered him, didn't it? When he denied the Lord three times, it bothered him. One look from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's in tears. But if you're such a one that can deny the Lord, reject opportunities to share who He is, what He has done, what He means to you, apply it to the individuals that you meet, that is, call them to consider the Word of God, repent and believe, read the Scriptures, whatever you're able to exert in terms of influence. If you miss those opportunities repeatedly and you have no concern about it, 
or you're put in a position where you know that that was an opportunity to speak, but it doesn't bother you that you didn't. If there's no sense of, of the need, the awareness that I am called to take opportunities to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, to let the light shine. It calls into question whether the light has ever really been known in the heart. How do you hear? Secondly, right hearing makes you responsible for the truth. It makes you responsible for the truth. Verse 18. Take heed therefore how you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given... And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. This is mentioned also in Matthew chapter 13 verse 12 following the parable of the sower. So verse 18, while Matthew 13 does not include the matter of the candle, it does include what's given in verse 18, establishing again that verse 18 has a connection with the parable of the sower. That it's in relation to that. How do you hear the word? Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. That's what the whole parable of the sower is about. He went out to sow his seed. And the whole significance of it, the seed being the word of God, is how have you heard the word? They all hear it, but how have you heard? Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. You're all hearing it. You're all hearing it. Everyone's within earshot, but how are you hearing it? Am I hearing it? In such a fashion that really there's an illusion over my mind that I'm a Christian because of X, Y, and Z. I, I don't know what you put in there. But if it doesn't fit what the Lord Jesus is dealing with here, namely, that you will bring forth fruit and part of the evidence of that fruit is that you shine forth the light, you give forth the word, and you don't live according to the fear of man or in hypocrisy about your commitment to Christ, but you are genuinely endeavoring to live the Christian life honestly. You need to examine yourself. Whosoever hath to him shall be given. What does he mean here? Simply, those who have the word and persevere, more will be given to them. That's simply what it's saying. Again, look at verse 15. That on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So they take the word, they hold on to the word, and God makes them fruitful in time. They bring forth fruit with patience. They continue on. This fruitfulness isn't something they established in themselves. This is something God is establishing in them. This is something Christ by His Spirit is working out in their lives. As they hear the Word, keep the Word, the Spirit then makes them fruitful. That's the outcome. That's what follows. 
And the promise then, or encouragement of verse 18 is, whosoever hath to him shall be given. If you've taken the word and you keep it, it will be given to you again and again and again. The benefits and blessings of the gospel will be piled up upon you. So as you persevere in the Christian life, you will enjoy the Lord more and more. You will enjoy what He has for you. You will understand how He's working in your life. There will be more grace added to you. The trials that are necessary to try and put you in a corner and make things difficult for you will be far greater than they were at the beginning. You become strong. You become established. You become firm. You become more and more the kind of person others go to for for advice, for counsel, for insight. You're the kind of person people turn to and say, will you pray with me? You're bringing forth more fruit. And God gives you more opportunities. Now, this is a very simple principle. Very simple in terms of, I want to do something for God. If you want to do something for God, you take every opportunity that is before you. Every single one. It may be very simple, really simple, holding the door open for people. Picking up garbage that you see lying on the ground. A simple thing. When you do it, and you do it in honor to Christ, what inevitably happens, and this is universally true in terms of those that the Lord blesses in His church and gives position and authority to, inevitably, the beginning was that they just did these little things for the Lord, onto the Lord, with a willing heart, and God begins to give them more responsibility. He begins to add to them. So to those that hath, they've taken the Word, they're doing the Word up to the point that they're aware of and they're capable of doing. They're, they're practicing the Word. They're, they are hearing what it is and they're responding to what they hear. They're living it out faithfully. And as they do that, God gives them more. So they get more understanding, more wisdom, more of the Spirit, more power, more fruit, more blessing, more influence upon others. That's the simple meaning of verse 18. Whosoever hath to him shall be given. If you truly have it, Christ will give more. On the flip side, whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth or thinketh that he hath. Here's the sober side of things. Just as in the parable of the sower, there can be the appearance of having faith. You have that in the grounds. The wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. So there's nothing there with them. But they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. These have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. It's taken away from them. That which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection or maturity. There's no maturing of what they have. They fall away. It is taken away from them. Why? They don't build upon what was given. Now, the parable of the sower, as well as what follows, in terms of the whole doctrine of salvation, is very much focused upon human responsibility. 
It's not a passage designed to focus upon the sovereignty of God in salvation. That's not the intent. So we don't read this and imagine that God's not involved in salvation. Clearly other passages manifestly make it plain that God is involved in our salvation. But passages like this that focus upon human responsibility are not to be ignored. That if, or should I say, since the Lord is putting this before me, that He is giving forth His Word, and I am to take heed how I'm hearing. How am I hearing? How am I hearing? Am I taking what I'm hearing and putting it into action? How am I hearing? Do, do I appreciate what I hear? Do I, I love to drink from the fountain of God's Word and have it opened up to me? If not, it will be taken away. You may have met those individuals that have received the Word of God and it appeared that they received it genuinely. They make a profession of faith. They go on for a time, maybe even joyfully. By and by, time passes. And they're no longer found among the people of God. And you ask why? There is not one instance of that taking place in which there is not also neglect of the means of grace, neglect of the Word of God the worship of God, prayer to God, and a simple servant-like desire to serve the Lord. You go to such people, you ask them, are you, are you they have all these questions and doubts and problems, or they're teetering on the edge teetering on the edge. Sometimes the pastor can discern it. The family can. The parents see it. They see a coldness begin to be evident. They come to family worship. They're not engaged. They're asked to pray. It's, It's almost like a chore to them. Something changes. And then they head off to college. And they give up altogether. And God takes from them even that which they seemed to have. frightening. So I say to you, I say to you, be careful how you handle what you are given. Walk with God. Read the Word. 
Submit to what you read. Pray over what you read. Apply what you read. Ask the Lord how you can do what it is you read. For as soon as you stop doing that, you're playing with fire. And you're not in control. You're not in control when God taketh from you even that which you seem to have. I am sure this has been the experience of many a preacher. Those that fall. They are still about the business that they are required to be about, but something's missing. They neglect prayer. They neglect the Word. They neglect that childlike willingness and desire to learn for themselves. That which once was there when they were in their teens and early twenties and full of zeal, they neglect. And God takes from them that which they seem to have. Yes, there's responsibility. There's no avoiding it. If you sit back and say to yourself, I'm on my way to heaven, I don't have to do anything. You completely misunderstand Jesus Christ. He calls you to take heed, therefore, how ye hear. How do you hear? This is the mark of a healthy or unhealthy congregation. It's a very unhealthy congregation that come to church and are focused upon the person giving the word rather than the word itself. How do you hear Because when the word is read and the word is preached, God is going to call to account how you heard that word. As sure as God is God, you can never avoid it. There is nothing secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known. Thirdly, right hearing puts you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, or I perhaps should clarify by saying a a meaningful or a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 19, we're told of this event of 
his mother and brethren coming. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. There's so many people pushing in and they can't get through the crowd. So they send a message. I don't know how exactly it was done. They maybe saw someone they knew, saw someone that was closer. Tell him, tell him that we're here. His mother is here. And so went through the channel of the crowd in order to get to him. Your mother and your brethren are here. So it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. As a point of information, at this particular time, the half-brothers of our Lord, and yes, just for those that may be Roman Catholic or Roman Catholic background, the Lord Jesus had half-brothers. Mary did not stay perpetually a virgin. He had half-brothers and sisters. And we know from John chapter 7, verse 5, neither did his brethren believe in him. They didn't believe At this point, at this juncture, there was no saving faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they come with a desire to meet him, again, we don't know their motive or their intention on this, but the Lord Jesus uses it to underline the point. Before him were people that were taking for granted their relationship to God. The Jews that imagined that because they were Jewish, they were going to heaven. And here the Son of God uses this particular meeting or approach of his mother and his half-brothers to underline the relationship that matters is not one of blood, not one that you might imagine gives you certain privileges. But the relationship that matters is found in those who hear the Word of God and do it. I believe, reading over this and studying and thinking about this, this must have been something that was bothering the Lord a lot during this time. He's already addressed this back in Luke chapter 6. If you flip over just for a moment, Luke chapter 6. Verse 46 and following. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. So you see it, hear and do, hear and do, don't miss it. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. It's just a matter of time. When the flood comes, it's going to fall. But the man who hears and does, clearly, at least to me, it appears, this whole matter bothered the Lord because the crowds that are gathering around him, largely, as I've already said, it is all about the miracles. They're coming to him just for the miracles. 
They admired Jesus. They appreciated the miracles of Jesus. It transformed some of their homes. The lame and the families were made to walk. The blind were made to see. The deaf were made to hear. It transformed homes. And so they appreciated him on a certain level. But they wouldn't hear the word and do it. And so the Lord again brings up this point as he did in Luke chapter 6. Those who are my brethren, those who have a genuine relationship with me, those who get it, they hear the word of God and do it. You can't separate those things. You can hear the word of God, but if you don't do it, you haven't heard savingly. You haven't heard meaningfully. There is no transformative work in your heart. You've just heard it. You've heard it with a hearing of ear, but not by faith. Since James, of course, was there, I believe, his brethren are there, his half-brother James, later that would be involved in the church and wrote the epistle of James that we find later in the New Testament. Little wonder then that he writes in James 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Because he stood there around a crowd and he was one of them. He could hear some of the things Jesus said, taught, and just like the masses of those that were around Galilee at that time, they heard, but they would not do. There was no follow-through, and they deceived themselves. Oh, that is frightening. Deceiving your own selves. Self-deceived. The Pharisees couldn't hear him because they hid him. The common people couldn't hear him because they were just waiting for the next miracle. His family couldn't hear him because he was too familiar to them. Be careful. Watch your relationship to the messenger and make sure it's not shadowing and hindering your receiving of the message. You don't have to like me. I hope you do. Of course I do. (laughs) But you don't have to. If you can tolerate not liking your preacher, but you like the Word of God, and you're willing to hear it and do it, that's sufficient. There can be nothing more important than this. This is the heart of those who are truly saved. So how do you hear? How do you hear? Do you do it? Does the world see your light? Does it? Or does it hear your crass language? Does it hear your... Does it hear the... about the programs that you watch and the jokes that you tell... And the other evidences that there's real, there's really no sanctifying work in your life. Do you feel like one of them to them? Do you fit in? Jesus, just before he died and with this I close, 
just before he went to the cross. In John 12, verse 35, he said, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. That you will hear, you will see, you will receive the light of me and then become a child of light that the world can see and take knowledge that you've been with Jesus. You don't have to be crass. You don't have to be the kind of person that no one wants to be around, but you just have to be a faithful light. So again, if you've really received the word, if you're a good ground hearer, then you're not a candle that's covered with a vessel or put under a bed, but you're set on a candlestick. They which enter into your life may see the light. Do they see it? Oh, how they need it. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Are you a child of the light? Maybe you don't know how to become a child of light. It's not complex. It's not easy. But it's not complex. You have to admit yourself to be a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you have lived as a sinner before God. You cannot be such a person that will deny that you deserve hell. You must confess Be ready to confess. I know I deserve hell. I have disobeyed my God. I have rejected Jesus Christ. I have lustful thoughts. I have told lies. I have broken God's law. Times without number. But I want to be a child of the light. Then you come to the light. Jesus will never cast you out. He will never turn you away. You come wanting his salvation... He will grant it. You come wanting the forgiveness of sins, He will give it. You just have to be willing to take it on His terms to become a disciple of His. If we can help you in any way, be sure to let us know. I'm glad to talk with you and answer any questions you may have. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for giving to us again just taking the time our Lord Jesus taking the time to hammer home the point that was made already and that we considered last week we pray that we will hear aright I pray that we will all search our hearts God I I think of so many here They have been blessed richly. We can all, nearly all of us can say that. We have been so blessed. And to whom much is given, much will be required. 
Lord, I ask, please don't let it be that to any here tonight that has been given, that it will turn out that what is taken from them is that which he seemed to have. May all be in Christ. May all bring forth fruit with patience. May none of us be ashamed of our Lord Jesus. Hear our prayers. See our repentance tonight before Thee. And deepen grace in our hearts. Thank you again for the opportunity to fellowship tonight. Thank you, Lord, for how you've kept this virus from us. Continue, Lord, to keep it from us. As we fellowship this evening, we ask that thou wilt be in all of our conversation. We pray that thou wilt be honored and that we will encourage one another as we talk. And we'll go home rejoicing. Give us help and power to live this week to thy glory. Give us opportunities to shine the light. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.